In this episode of Physically Spiritual, I'll propose a body-based approach to overcoming vice that's inspired by a process of trauma recovery called somatic experiencing. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. I was 11 years old. It was the first week of summer break between my fifth and sixth grade years. I was headed to the park with my mom to practice on my new rollerblades, but we made a pit stop on the way. When I was trying to navigate the terrain on my rollerblades, I fell backwards, braced myself with only my left arm, which broke in two places, and my, my hand essentially was a bit down a bit down my left arm. We went to the hospital immediately where there weren't any rooms available for the surgery. So the doctor wanted to attempt to set my arm in an outpatient setting. They gave me all kinds of drugs to put me out. But the doctor had difficulty getting the bones lined up in my arm, which necessitated them having to re-break the bones. The first time they attempted to reset my arm, I came to. I woke up restrained. My fingers were in these uh, Chinese finger trap metal things while my my, uh, upper arm was being pulled down by a strap and the rest of my body was strapped down to the table. And I sat there as the doctor began to forcibly push the bones in my arm back into place. A little while later, I passed out from the experience of the pain. That day, they had to break and reset my arm four times. And a week later, I had to go back in for surgery because the bones still weren't right. I was in a cast that whole summer, uh, got it off a week before school started. But looking back and thinking of my life now, while there was some tragedy of losing that summer with with my arm being in a cast, uh, I didn't make the connection at the time. But the next year in school, my performance started to suffer. I had a difficult time paying attention. I had a hard time getting my homework together. My thoughts were more disorganized. My grades plummeted. I went from being a student who got all A's and B's to in seventh grade, I think I got all C's with a D and one B. And and I was confused as to why all of a sudden I was much worse in school. (laughs) Oh, I picked up some bad habits in junior high. I won't get into all the gory details. Um, But what I found was a lot of these things I was doing was actually helping me cope with life. And in eighth grade, my grades popped back up. I remember announcing uh, during Christmas break that, um, you know, all you have to do to get good grades in school is pay attention. And I I thought that was kind of funny because I was getting all A's in one B that year. But looking back um, and thinking about it, those bad habits that I picked up, that I was really using to medicate what was going on in my body. You know, those are a lot of the things that I had to struggle with in my conversion. Some of them I still struggle with today. And it took me years to make the connection between what happened in that surgery room, what happened when I woke up, uh, when I woke up um, bound to the table with somebody breaking my arm or having that, the next surgery where I was put out and somebody was cutting me open to that change in my life, 
that, that sudden change in my school performance. What really brought me to the answer was studying a lot of what I've been talking about this season in Physically Spiritual. Our last episodes before the Ask Me Anything, I talked about fear and freedom and trauma and sin. And it's through the, the writing of Dr. Peter Levine that I started to understand more clearly a path through, a new way that I could deal with these difficult experiences from my past. See, Dr. Levine noticed the behavior of animals that were going through traumatic experience. An animal in a life-threatening situation will eventually go into a state of paralysis. They'll play dead or play possum is what we call it sometimes. And after the threat is passed, or if they see an opportune time to run away from their life threat, they'll pop up out of that paralysis immediately. But every animal coming out of this life-threatening situation will do something physiologically to release the energy that's stored in the body while they're playing dead. See, once you go into that deep shutdown place, that frozen life-threat place, it's like the body is both hitting the accelerator and the brake simultaneously. The accelerator because you might die, and the brake because the only way to survive is to trick the source of death into thinking you're already dead. So this is, this is a, a tremendously difficult state for the body to maintain. So this release of energy is often a shaking or a trembling or some kind of breathing that the animal will go through or a combination of all three. If the animal experiences some kind of fear before going into the frozen state, it actually will take them much longer to resolve this energy. The reality is everything below our cortex as humans is almost the same as every other animal. But we don't think of ourselves like other animals very often. See, we don't sometimes allow the energy release to happen that animals will experience in their own body. If people will start to experiencing some kind of trembling or shaking or, or breathing change, sometimes you might interrupt the process, right? You might uh, be embarrassed by it or think that you need to hide it or that you should uh, try to repress it. Often too, if there's an experience of life threat and you're simultaneously immobilized, meaning that you're being held down or something else makes you stuck. An example, something that might make you stuck are, are like the relationship with a parent, right? In order to get your needs met, you need your parents, so a child is literally, in a sense, stuck with their parents, for better or worse. So if they're experiencing trauma in their home, yet because of their need from their parents, they won't leave. Right. So this is an experience of being stuck. This also could happen in relationships, romantic relationships and friendships. And then there's this the physical fact of being restrained or maybe even being stuck in a job or maybe in a war scene or something like that. And in these places where we're both where we're experiencing something very difficult, something traumatizing, and then we're also then stuck. What we find is that the body doesn't go through the natural process of releasing that energy, of resolving what's going on in the nervous system. And this is what some people think to be a, a physiological explanation for what people experience in conditions like PTSD or other, other uh, traumatic um, other trauma-based problems that people experience much later on. What Dr. Levine theorized was that if you could uncouple the fear and the immobility 
and allow the natural process of the resolution of that energy to occur, then the symptoms the people experience as a result of the trauma will get better. And the system he developed in order to assist people to go through this process is called somatic experiencing. So with that, I want to invite you all to consider becoming a patron of Physically Spiritual. The patrons of Physically Spiritual are members of the Totus Tuus community. Uh, they give at different levels, and with each level, there are different perks. You get the access to the full Ask Me Anything episode, bonus content, uh, which are uh, book reviews and rambles that I do, uh, different talks that I give are posted there. And you also will get different perks as you move up the giving levels. So go over to physicallyspiritual.com to join the Totus Tuus community. If you want to get access to your member benefits or just watch or listen to the shows from a great app or get a great alternate to social media, try the Awaken app. Go to theawakenapp.io or search for the Awaken app on the Google Play or Apple App Store to get the Awaken app. And with that, back to our regularly scheduled programming. So this process developed by Dr. Levine called somatic experiencing, first the name somatic comes from the word soma, which is just the Greek word for body. And experiencing, meaning that you're aware, you're experiencing what's going on in your body. So the title implies what the process does. You're using your consciousness to notice what's happening in the body and then remove what's in the way of allowing your body to go through that natural resolution process. Like so many uh, contemporary health uh, approaches, I would, would also put functional medicine in this, in this category. It's a recognition that the body has an innate ability to heal itself, that the body can resolve trauma, that the body can heal. And what we need to do is we need to remove the insults or the different things that are preventing the healing from happening and then assist and collaborate in the natural process of resolution and healing that the body will go through by providing it what it needs. And this is exactly what somatic experiencing does. So somatic experiencing is it's a training that some people will go through. Many of them mental health professionals like counselors, but you don't have to be a counselor. You'll see the initials after their name, SEP, somatic experiencing practitioners. And in the show notes, I'll put links to places where you can search for people trained in this modality or similar modalities. I'll also put links to videos of Dr. Levine's explanations and then also to his books. He's published many books on the topic. So there are nine steps to a somatic experiencing process. And these steps aren't rigid things that you walk through, but they're different things that phase in and out, right? They're, they're different things. Things that will be present in some sessions with a counselor or, or needed at different times and other times they might not be present. But all nine of these steps are essential to the overall healing process. So step one is to establish an environment of relative safety. To establish an environment of safety. This is, this is really key. Uh, the ability, think back to the episode on trauma that we had a few weeks ago. The ability to, um, to approach something traumatic can cause a re-traumatization, right? So the memory recalling it, talking about the traumatic event causes sensations in the body that match the original trauma. So talking about that event unskillfully can cause a re-traumatization or even a deepening of the wounding that's happening in the person. So it's essential that the, the therapeutic process begin with establishing safety. All of the, the functions of the autonomic nervous system correspond to different safety needs 
in, in the person. So we talked about that most primitive shutdown state and then the fight flight state you go through. But even the safe state is connected to our safety and survival. As mammals, as social animals, our first layer of defense is our community. It's our tribe. It's our pack. And all these social mammals like, like a wolf or, or a monkey or something like this, they rely on their community as their source of safety. So we as humans are like this too. So our first line of defense when we're facing something difficult is the safety of another's presence. And this is the foundation of what a somatic experiencing practitioner is providing to their client. They're providing their own safety, the co-regulation of their nervous system, the safety of their relationship, and then the safety and comfort in the environment that they're in. So a lot of the process will be focused on establishing a good therapeutic relationship, uh, having a, a good environment, and approaching these things very gently and very carefully. The second step is to support initial exploration and acceptance of sensations. One of the common experiences of people that are traumatized is they're kind of numb to their body. They're unaware of the sensations that are going on in their physiology. So what they experience is maybe their feelings and their thoughts, but they're not aware that those feelings and thoughts are connected to sensations. Maybe a tightening or loosening in the chest, a quickening or a slowing of their breathing, a tingling in their limbs, a feeling of pain that mimics a wound from the past or something like that. So having an initial exploration of what's happening in the body, of noticing what's happening, the, the, the sense that's sometimes called interoception, the capacity to experience what the body is feeling is part of the initial process. And then an acceptance of these sensations, right? When we experience these sensations and then brace against them or resist them or fight them or judge them, we're actually preventing the natural process of resolution to occur. We're fighting against the body's process of, of going through um, and resolving the pain. So we have to both experience them and then accept them. The third step of the process is pendulation and containment. It's the inner power of rhythm that, that's in all natural things. So pendulation, think of a, a clock hand going back and forth, swinging back and forth, back and forth. To pendulate is to go into something and out of something, into something and out of something. And this pendulation is an essential part of the process. What you'll do is you'll notice the sensations in your body. You'll find areas that are feel safe, areas that feel okay, then areas that feel bad or difficult. And you'll pendulate. You'll bring your attention gently and carefully to a part of your body that's difficult, that's painful. And then you'll shift to then a safe part, an okay part. And this way, you, you, uh, you avoid uh, overwhelming your system and you're oscillating the safety and danger signals in your body and helping the body get unstuck. Almost like you have an old hinge that's rusty and stuck. And what you do is you move it back and forth while you slowly put in maybe some oil or a lubricant. And, and over time, that gentle process you can loosen it. Now, if you just went up to that door and slammed it, you might actually break the hinge, separate it from the wall, separate it from the door, break it in half, right? And you don't want to do that. You want to gently rock it back and forth. And this is the process of pendulation. The fourth 
is titration. Titration is a process that that Dr. Levine borrows from chemistry. To titrate something is to incorporate it little bit by little bit, a small amount at a time. In this titration process of approaching the trauma, the difficult memory, just a little bit at a time, approaching it carefully and gently, and then moving back into safety, and then going a little bit further, moving back into safety, helps to increase stability and resilience and organization in the person. So a titration is just a little drop at a time. He uses the image of a strong acid and a strong base. If you have a strong acid and a strong base, um, I forget the exact chemicals he puts forth, If you mix them together, what they actually just end up creating is water and salt. But by themselves, the strong acid and strong base are both very damaging. If you put your finger in it, it will eat your finger away, burn you, or or tear away the tissue or something like that. So on their own, they're both very damaging. If you just quickly throw them together, it will literally create an explosion that will resolve itself into water and salt. So what a good chemist will do if they want to put together the acid and base is they titrate and they pendulate. You literally do a drip of the one, and then it fizzes like an Elka-Seltzer kind of an effect. And then maybe you do another drop, another fizz. And what happens is since you're slowly incorporating the two reagents, the process is never so strong that it's overwhelming and dangerous, but then it eventually becomes just the basic building blocks of life water and salt. Similarly, with our difficult experiences, by doing this process of pendulation into safety and then back into the difficult experience, back into safety, into the difficult experience, and then titration, just a little bit at a time, what we're doing is we're reestablishing a sense of safety in order to um, be able to tolerate more and more of the difficult experience so that we can go through it and not be re-traumatized And then by going through it, we can allow the natural process of the body um, to come back out of of that trauma, to experience the shaking, maybe the breathing, the crying, the movement, whatever the, the wisdom of the body is telling you, to go through that safely and allow the trauma to resolve itself. The fifth step of somatic experiencing is to provide a corrective experience by supporting the passive responses of collapse and helplessness with active empowered defensive responses. So let imagine something is coming at you, right? Your first response is going to be what? To put up your arms and defend yourself, right? You're going to want to brace yourself. And this is part of that natural reaction. But a lot of times we repress that. We stop that. We're afraid of the feeling in our body so we don't let it happen. So part of this, this uh, therapeutic process is allowing that, coaching that, allowing that active and powered defensive response, literally playing it out, moving your body in a way that feels safe, a way that feels like it needs to happen in order to protect you. The sixth step is separate or uncouple the condition association of fear and helplessness from what's normally a time-limited but now maladaptive biological immobility response. So remember that combination of the fear and helplessness with the immobility ends up keeping us in that immobilized place, in that shutdown place longer. So being able to uncouple those two experiences, separating out the fear and helplessness from the immobility, then opens up the door for that immobility to resolve. Seven is actually to resolve the hyperarousal. 
So this will be gently guiding the discharge and redistribution of the vast survival energy mobilized for life-preserving action. Right? So this is the actual shaking. This is the actual crying, the actual reaction of the body that many people experience when they come up out of the traumatic space. Eight is engaging self-regulation to restore dynamic equilibrium and relaxed alertness. The body wants equilibrium. The body wants to be balanced. And this state of being traumatized is a place where we're experiencing imbalance. So oftentimes we want to bring other things into our life to balance ourselves out. This is why there's so much um, correlation between addiction and trauma. There's so much correlation between bad habits and trauma, things we do that are harmful for us, but we do them in order to create an experience in the moment to self-medicate the reaction of the trauma. And then nine, the final step is to orient to the here and now, contact the environment and reestablish the capacity for self-engagement. Social engagement, sorry. Reestablish the capacity for social engagement. That engagement with the counselor. One of the unique things about uh, somatic experiencing is there isn't necessarily a lot of eye contact. You know, a lot of talk therapy is just eye-to-eye, face-to-face, chit-chat, talk about what's happening. And then oftentimes in cognitive behavioral therapy, they're using some kind of exposure model, meaning you expose yourself to the memory, to the thought, to a reenactment of the experience of whatever the trauma came from. Somatic experience is a kind of exposure therapy, but you're not exposing yourself to the thoughts and words and experience. You're exposing yourself to the sensations in your body in order to allow them to resolve themselves. And the presence of the counselor, the presence of the therapist or the somatic experiencing practitioner allows the co-regulating presence that, that empowers you to go deeper and then helps guide you and coach you to do it safely. All that's to say, in the end, if you are dealing with some kind of real difficult trauma, um, if you experience kind of pervasive numbness, some kind of significant acting out in your life that you think might have trauma at the core of it, go and find help. Uh, Use the resources in the show notes, the different search tools to find people that are trained in modalities like this um, in order to get the support that you need. But with that, I want to shift a little bit into practicals. There's some wisdom we can draw from this. We might call this kind of like a trauma first aid kit. How do we, when we experience something difficult, something that could be traumatizing, not end up traumatized, not end up with these lingering difficulties? One thing is become comfortable with trembling. That experience of shaking, of that that movement of the body, it's uncomfortable, embarrassing. But if you're experiencing something difficult, And let's say you're not experiencing like the threat of hitting your head or maybe like a broken back or something like that. Allowing the trembling to happen is allowing your body to go through that natural process. Some people, when they're like doing public speaking or doing something else that's really stressful, they experience that tremble. Allow the tremble. Accept the tremble. Your body's trying to take care of you. Two, reconnect in the present You could connect with another person or anchor with something in your environment. Your first line of defense against a difficult thing are the people in your life, the people who love you, the experience of of their nervous systems by the process of neuroception, the experience of the the joy of their face, the comfort of their voice, uh, that helping hand, that pat on the back, right? Being with that other person gives us a deep sense of safety. Maybe the other person doesn't feel safe or maybe there isn't somebody there. We can connect with our environment. So just notice, 
Notice something that's around you that looks good, looks attractive. It could be a plant. It could be the sky. It could be the breeze touching your skin. But anchoring yourself in something in the environment can give you a little window into feeling okay. Just that little, that little place, like a little oasis in the midst of the dryness that you can reconnect with life. Then the third thing you can do is find a safe place in your body. Right? So maybe it's your hands. A lot of your the nervous system is kind of in the core from your head down into your chest and your gut. So a lot of times these fight, flight, freeze experiences are very powerful in this kind of central track of the body. But then out into your limbs, out into your the outer parts of your body, the sensations aren't necessarily as strong. So sometimes you can find parts of your body that feel okay or feel good. And by bringing your attention to these parts of the body, you're signaling safety to your nervous system. So you could either just anchor into one of those okay or safe parts of your body to feel better, or you could pendulate yourself, literally go between with your attention, that place of difficulty, that place of pain, and then pendulate back into that place of safety a little bit at a time in order to reestablish a feeling of safety and connection. So these are some tools you can use. Let's say you're in a car crash and, you know, the the rescue crew comes and gets you. Or let's say you're having that big presentation at work and you just want to shake and run away. Uh, Some different tools you can use to face these possibly traumatic experiences. All right, so now to the title of the show. The title of the show, A Somatic Approach to Virtue. I think that the wisdom of this can inform the way we try to overcome our vices. A typical program to grow in virtue looks something like this. Step one is try harder. It's the myth of willpower, right? Just go in there and get them, right? Next time I'm going to do it differently because I just want to more this time or whatever. The second step is to read a book, right? Go and get that self-help book. Maybe if I knew more, I could change. It's a really a thinly veiled form of the heresy of Gnosticism that we're saved by our knowledge, the first step is a thinly veiled heresy of, um, of uh, oh, it's I forget the name, but the fact that we can save ourselves with our own will. So the third step in a lot of people's typical program to grow in virtue is to avoid the near occasion of sin. There's a lot of wisdom in this, but there can be an illusion of control. The reality is that we are dependent on others and we are vulnerable to our environment. And we can never perfectly control our environment. So no matter, no matter how much we avoid the near occasion of sin, put that filter on our computer or avoid those people who cause us temptation or maybe try to avoid that restaurant where we know we're going to get the wrong food or what have you, no matter how much we try to put those boundaries in our life, there's always going to be new places of temptation, new places of difficulty. And then the fourth step a lot of times is to go and talk to your priest or minister. Right, go to the confessional, go for that, that meeting. But the reality is that that person probably doesn't have the best training to help you deal with these difficult places. They'll probably be encouraging, and they probably also just don't have the time required to invest to really help you navigate everything that's needed. So a lot of times then you'll oscillate. Try harder, read another book, clean up your life in some way, talk to your priest. You struggle again, oscillate, try harder, read the book, read get another book, listen to another podcast, watch the next YouTube video, you know, get more filters, get rid of your computer, um, clear out your pantry, uh, you know, tell that person you don't want to spend time with them anymore, then go talk to the priest again. You, and we just keep struggling and cycling through these methods that aren't helping us. 
So what's a different way? If you find yourself dealing with something you just can't overcome, what else could you do? Well, I think the somatic experiencing process has a lot to inform us in this. So what could go into a a, a somatic approach, a body-based approach to grow in virtue? One, grow in the capacity to become aware of your bodily sensations. Story follows state. And your emotions a lot of times follow the sensations in your body. So if you have the emotion of hunger, a lot of times there's a sensation that you're receiving from your body that then your brain's interpreting as hunger. Or if you have this story in your head about what other people are thinking about you or what you know they said when you're not there, it might come from a sensation in your body. Story follows state. So becoming aware of the sensations in your body, that interoception, different um, practices inspired by mindfulness of just noticing what's going on in your limbs and your heart, scanning your body for different feelings. This is one of the foundations to get down beneath the thoughts into the sensations. And then when you're dealing with difficult, strong emotions, then you could use that interoception skill to find those safe places. And that can give you an anchor to move through those feelings and thoughts. Every feeling and thought is temporary. Every sensation you have is temporary. It comes and it goes. So the reality is a lot of times when you're facing temptation, if you just hold on, it eventually goes away and you go on to the next thing. So sometimes just holding on is the key. All right, idea two we can draw out from this. Develop skills to change how you feel. These can be things like breathing. The process of breathing is both controlled by your will and your autonomic nervous system. So extended out-breaths slows down your nervous system. Fast extended in-breaths hyperventilating speeds up your nervous system. So maybe you want to pick me up without a cup of coffee. You could do some powerful breathing, some strong breathing. Be careful not to make yourself pass out, of course. If you need to slow down and calm down, that slow extended breathing, that breathing out, that meditative breathing can help to slow your system down. Movement can be very helpful in this. Just moving around, get up, get up and get moving. If you feel like shaking, shake, do some push-ups. Just change your environment, but movement can help to change the way you feel. Music is also huge. Singing, chanting, humming, that vibration in your throat stimulates your vagus nerve, which controls your autonomic nervous system and allows you to slow down and calm down. So you can develop skills that changes your body. So from a Thomistic perspective, what we're doing is we're using our will, our rational appetite to change our perception, to move our body. And by changing our body and our perception, we're changing our passions or our sense appetite. And our temptations are typically coming from our disordered passions, things like fear, for example. So we can use our will, our rational appetite, to change our body and our perception in order to then change our passions, our sense appetite. And by doing this, we can move through the temptation. All right, three, what we can learn from somatic experiencing the growing virtues, the foundation of relationships. The foundation of overcoming a trauma is experiencing a felt sense of safety. So a lot of times the bind that people have when they're traumatized in their family or in relationships are the very people who should be their source of safety is their source of harm. 
So they have moments where they're being harmed by this person and moments where they're being cared for by this person. And this is a very difficult state for a person to be in. So they shut down. They learn to get their needs met by manipulating that person, by becoming their caregiver's caregiver in a lot of ways. Their survival instincts kick in to make sure they get what they need. But we can also use relationships as an anchor. One, our relationship with God. God offers us faith, which gives us a real experience of him. So we can be co-regulated by God. The presence of God can be comforting if we have experienced his love enough. We also need to grow in communal rhythms and synchrony. We have great, uh, we have great uh, opportunities for this in our church. Things like the mass, chant, liturgy. These are all things that we enter into and they're rhythmic and they're comfortable and they're communal. So they give us context of connection where we can find safety. Step four, what we can learn, we need to find safe and appropriate places for physical touch. There's something really important about being touched, that affirmation. It can come from our family, our significant others. Some people will get pets for this reason. Or even playing sports, things like jujitsu or things like that can be places for, for more physical touch that's appropriate in a good context and healthy. But this touch helps us regulate our nervous system, find safety. Finally, take action. These difficult experiences create a lot of energy in the body. The stress hormones, it just you have a lot of power in it. And if it's not directed, it can be put inward and can be disruptive to the internal systems in your body. But this stress can also be harnessed. And people that have a high tolerance level for stress oftentimes find it very productive. So people will do things like fast in order to be more productive. The fasting creates a low-level stress, which then puts them on a level of alertness, which can help them focus. Other people find something like a deadline that stress of the deadline approaching will help motivate them to get things done. So that same energy that can cause all that damage in the body, if we have a high level of tolerance for it, we can harness it in order to do things that we need to do. So we need to learn to use that energy for action, learn to redirect it. But we need to be able to return to safety and have that grounding foundation in order to do that. Uh, so let's just take, take an example Let's use an example of food. Food, you know, this is a, a pretty safe example. I think a lot of people experience this. At the end of the night, you had dinner already, and, you know, the night's dragging on, and you want to go get into the potato chips or something like that. So how could we use these steps? First, that introception. Become aware of the sensations in your body. What are you feeling? Are you thirsty and not hungry? Are you stressed about something? Are you bored? Are you lonely? Like, what's actually there driving that experience of hunger. Maybe you just didn't eat enough for dinner and you can choose something that's nurturing and healthy. Second step, develop skills to change how you feel. If it is stress or something like that, you can breathe. Let that stress go, move, uh, listen to some music, change your environment, get yourself thinking of something else. Maybe it's loneliness. So, right? so you can enter into that relational phase, connect with somebody else, call them on the phone, send an email, write a letter, go spend time with a friend. Just go out to a coffee shop so other people are around. But you can use the people around you uh, to connect with. Find safe and appropriate physical touch, right? If you do have a spouse, you know, go give them a hug. Let that, uh, that oxytocin release in your body from that physical touch. If you have a pet, give them, give them a, a, a brush or, or pet them or something like that. 
Go out and play with the animal. Play a sport. Get moving. Take action. Right? So a lot of times that, that hunger trigger comes when you're what? Sitting there and watching TV. Right? So get up and do something. Uh, do some laundry. Uh, work on a project. Knit. So uh, anything that you can do with your body to get moving and use some of that energy for a productive purpose. I hope this episode has been enlightening and helpful. Uh, If you do experience trauma in your life, difficult experiences, especially if you're acting out in some way that's harmful or disruptive to you, consider getting help. Consider finding a somatic experiencing practitioner or one of the other searches that are in the show notes. Also have compassion with yourself. You know, if you're struggling with some kind of a a sin, grave or not, uh, maybe it seems small to you, but you can use these ideas to inform the way you approach trying to overcome that difficulty. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share, and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awakened Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.